expectation and and uh, I, I still believe it's going to be a good year. Who thinks 2018 is going to be a good year? I believe that, hey, well, 2019 is going to be good too. Okay? 2019, I'm just still crawling out of 18. But uh, I believe God works in seasons. And for whatever reason, I just have this sense in my heart that this is going to be a good year. That there's a season of blessing and, and opportunity and, 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 and favour is, is, is coming uh, our, our way. Um, in Luke chapter 9, we've got a story uh, that's repeated actually in Matthew, Mark and Luke. All three gospel writers share this story. And it's about the Mount of Transfiguration. We all know the story. Jesus goes up onto a mountain to pray. And while he's up there, he has a visit from a couple of guests. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear. And he has a conversation with them. Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell us that this happened. There aren't many things that are recorded in all the Gospels or majority of the Gospels. So when you get stuff that's, that's sort of recorded right across, it's good to, to look at that story from each author's different perspective and see who adds the different bits and you get a whole picture of what's going on. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about something that Luke tells us that Matthew and Mark seem to miss. Uh, if you go to the end of sort of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane when he kneels down and he prays, and he says, Father, if there's another way we can do this, I sure would appreciate an option B. But if we can't, then I'm going to do it your way. Matthew, Mark, Luke record this story as well. But Luke gives us an extra little bit in that story, in that narrative as well, that the other two don't give us. And so I want to put these two things together. And I want to share some thoughts with you today. I want us to go back also to the book of Genesis where God creates this man, calls him Adam. And God makes this amazing statement to Adam. He says this. He says, um, it's not good that man should be what? Alone. It's not good that man should be alone. I think about that, and this is just the way my brain ticks. I kind of look at things from different angles. I like to move it around. And, and I think, hang on a second, God. Adam wasn't alone. He had you. He wasn't alone. He had you, God. It's almost like God was saying, I'm not enough. Now, not I'm not enough as in, we might think today someone's saying, that's not enough, give me more. But I wonder if God was saying, for you to do what I've called you to do, and for you to be who I've called you to be, me alone is not going to be enough. I need to put you in a community. I need other people around you because faith in God alone, being filled with the Spirit alone, having God all over me alone, and don't think I'm being sacrilegious or anything here, but me and God alone are not enough. I'm created for community. I want to make this statement. I really need you. I really need you in my life. And guess what? You, you really need me. Daniel's going, no! You need me. Turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye and say, guess what? You need me. Uh, Owen, Owen, I said the person next to you was enough. Don't branch around to every individual. We haven't got time and you don't have a microphone, all right? One person was enough. It's almost like God was saying in the beginning that 
You need more than just me. It's amazing how many people feel like it's just them and God and that's all they need. We don't need other people. And I could stand here and tell you stories and you could tell me stories of shipwreck after shipwreck of people's lives where they thought they could isolate themselves away from the rest of community and just go after God because God was enough. And yet here's God saying to Adam, I'm not enough for you alone. You need something else. And I don't think he was just talking about a biological thing that a man needs. I don't think that's true because there are people with gifts upon their life called celibacy. There's a spiritual gift where, where they can go through their whole life and they don't have those sort of physical sexual temptations. They don't see the need to, to, to marry and to, to settle down in that sort of way that we would say is normal. There's a gift on their life. That gift would make them somewhat backwards if it was actually right to be completely alone. So I don't think that, that God just simply saying to Adam was, uh, it's not good for you to be alone was purely a procreational thing. I think it was more than that. And here we have in, in Luke chapter 9 a story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I'm going to kind of throw a few thoughts out and then hopefully it'll tie in at the end. I'll just pull a string and it'll all tie in and it will make sense where I'm going uh, to you as it makes sense to me as I say it. <coughs> Be frightening some Sunday mornings if you were inside this, I'll tell you. And you could see the road map and everything and it just happens to land in the right space, which is good. And so Jesus goes up on the mountain and these two guys come and they have a chat with him. And here's what it says. Can you wake it up on the screen there for me, Luke? It says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he, being Jesus, took Peter, John and James, went up to a mountain to pray. He went up there for a purpose. Specifically, he knew what he was doing. This was not a chance encounter. Now it came to pass that I just read that verse. And then verse 29 said, As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. His robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. So this is kind of funny in one sense, isn't it? Here's two dead people talking to God about death. Isn't that weird? To me, that's kind of strange. Two dead people appear to God and say, I'm going to talk to you. And the only person that records what they talked about is Luke. And Luke says in verse 31... Who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. He goes up to a mountain to pray. Moses and Elijah appear to him. Matthew and Mark tell us about the same scenario, but they just say that, that, Moses, Eli, uh, that, that Moses, Elijah and Jesus had a conversation. They don't tell us what it's about, but Luke gives us this extra little bit of insight and he tells us what the conversation was about. And the conversation was about his impending death. It was about what was going to happen down the track for him. How many of you think that Jesus' life was a walk in the park? It was no walk in the park. You know? He was human. He was, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way as we're tempted, yet without sin. Have you read that verse? You can't be tempted if you're 100% purely divine and you have no human inclination. Does that make sense? In order for him to be tempted in every way as I am, he must have been as human as me. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a temptation. Because temptation means that there's a human inclination in you where, where the devil or your own flesh is trying to get a hook in to drag you in a wrong direction. That's what temptation is. So if he was actually tempted, as the Bible says, then there must have been a lot of humanity about him while he was here. His life was not a walk in the park. The stories are not true. He didn't go into the playground, put his finger on sparrows, and they rose from the dead. It wasn't like that. 
The Bible also says that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Anyone ever read that? It says that Jesus learned obedience through things he suffered. So it wasn't like this little baby went, there he is in a womb. He was never tempted from day one and he was completely obedient. Wouldn't that be awesome? Who's ever had a baby and the minute it was born it was totally 100% obedient to everything you said? Anyone? Please, there's got to be somebody out there. Even Mary didn't have that privilege. Even Mary didn't get that honour. Jesus was not obedient from the moment he opened his eyes. He went to cry and Mary went, don't you? Ah. Little thumbs up in the crib, I get it, Mary. Whatever you say. It didn't happen like that. So he was very, very human. And here we have him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's in a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And they're talking to him about his death that's coming up. If we fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew, Mark, Luke, even John, they all mention about the garden. Matthew, Mark and Luke have very similar stories. They all mention that he left the disciples, that he went, that he prayed, that he said, Father, if you could take this away, that would be great. Luke adds one extra thing. He says that he sweated so intensely and profusely about what was coming that his sweat turned into droplets of blood, which is scientifically proven it can happen now. You can get stressed so bad the blood comes out the pores of your skin. So... He adds this extra thing. He gives us this extra insight. Jesus didn't just say, look, if there's a second uh, plan, I'd love to take that. That'll be sweet. But if not, I'll do it. Okay. He was sweating drops of blood. He was intensely sweating. He was fearing for the future. It was that what was expected of him was very, very difficult. And he knew it. And he was honest with his father. This is difficult. This is tough. I don't know if I can do this. So here we've got this guy that in the Garden of Gethsemane is, is saying to the father, I'm, this death thing that I've got to go to, it's, it's hard. I'm struggling. I don't know if I can do it. And when I go back to the Mount of Transfiguration and I see Moses and Elijah standing there and I get a glimpse of the conversation, they're talking to him about his death. I wonder whether, and please don't shut me down here, whether he was thinking second thoughts. I'm not saying he would have backed out, I don't know. What I know is this, he was as human as you and as me. He laid down his divinity when he came to earth. He was 100% God, 100% man. But he chose to lay aside the 100% God part and said, I won't operate out of that, I'll operate out of my humanity. And that's what he did from day one, he operated out of his humanity. He overcame sin out of his humanity. He resisted temptation out of his humanity. He did all this stuff not because he was the son of God, because he chose to lay that part of his nature down and said, I won't operate out of that. It's like I'm left-handed, but what I'm going to do for the next month, I'm only going to use my right hand. I've still got a left hand. I'm just not going to use it. And he operated out of his humanity. And here he is, knowing that I'm going to go through this excruciating death. I'm going to go through this incredibly tough situation, this, this scenario down the track. And you know what? I'm not looking forward to it. And I wonder whether in that moment as they're talking to him, I wonder, and he, here's my point, I wonder whether Moses and Elijah stood there and they had one goal, and that was to encourage him to be who he was meant to be and to do what he was meant to do. I wonder whether they stood there and Moses said, you know what? I get it. Because I led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we wandered around and I was meant to take them into the promised land. I made some mistakes, whatever. But you know what? I had to die first in order for that nation to go through. And for Joshua to take them in. I had to die first. I get it. 
I get it. But you know what? Here's what happened. And you know the history, Jesus. I died and guess what? Look where we are now. Because I did what I was called to do and I was the person I was meant to be. And then maybe Elijah's going, I, I get that. I know what Moses is saying, Jesus. Because there was this guy that came after me called Elijah, uh, Elisha. And we all know the story. Elijah has about seven miracles, I think, recorded in his ministry. And then this other prophet, Elisha, comes along, this younger guy, and the Bible says that he got a double portion. I don't want to get into an interpretation of that, whatever. What it meant was what Elijah carried, he was getting more of it. But he had to go before this guy could pick up that mantle and run. The Bible records, I think, seven miracles done by Elijah and exactly 14 by Elisha. And maybe Elijah's there going, you know what, yeah, because the next stage of life, the next thing that was going to happen, I had to get out of the way and had to let this young upstart take it on and go with me. And yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it's tough when that time comes. It's tough to be who God calls you to be, and it's tough to sometimes do what God wants you to do. It's tough and it's hard. But here's the thing. If Jesus Christ himself needed encouragement to be who he was meant to be and to do what he was meant to do, how much more do you and I need it? It's not good for me to be alone. It's not enough to say, I don't need you. I don't need your encouragement in my life because I've got Jesus. I don't need your encouragement. I'm filled with the Spirit. I don't need your encouragement. I don't need you to help me be who I need to be and do what I need to do because, you know, I've got faith and I've got all these things. It's not good for any of us to be alone. We need each other. And if Jesus himself needed encouragement, if Jesus himself needed some guys to get alongside of him and talk to him about what he was called to do and to help him get there, how much more do you and I need it? The word encourage in the Greek literally means encourage. It means to instill or to put in courage into you. That's what it means. When we encourage one another, what we're doing is we're taking courage and I'm putting courage in you because in that moment, maybe you've lost courage. Maybe you don't think you can be the person you're meant to be. Maybe you've failed too many times. Maybe you've fallen short too many times. Maybe life's not what you think it is. Maybe you've got your hopes up too many times. Maybe you're not doing what you feel like you're meant to do. Maybe you don't think you're good enough to do it. Whatever the scenario may be. And in those moments, we need people to come alongside of us and to put in courage in us so that we can be the people we're meant to be and we can do the things that we will put down here to do. If Jesus needed that, and I believe he did, how much more do you need it? And how much more do I need it? If you have a look, First Thessalonians, I think I'm, I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff there. First Thessalonians, chapter 5. It says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another as you are also doing. Edify one another as you're also... I wonder, I wonder if Jesus walked around this church right now. I wonder if, if he would say, edify one another full stop. Or I wonder if he'd say, edify one another as you're already doing. Do we have a culture amongst us of encouraging one another? Of putting courage into one another? Of building one another up? Is that the culture that we have? So I believe that's kingdom culture. I believe that we should be each other's number one biggest fan. You should be my biggest fan. You should have pom-poms on, Michael Cox. You should be on that chair right now. You should be dancing, kicking your chair, going, give me an A, give me an L, give me an L. You should be doing that for me because I'm doing that for you. I'm up there going, give me an M, give me an I, give me a C because I'm your number one fan. And I'm your number one fan. I'm your number one fan. And that's the way that we're called to live. 
You know, we live in a world out there that's not, they're not your number one fans. Who's, who's noticed that, that when I walk out there, I don't feel like I'm being cheered on a lot. As a matter of fact, I feel like I'm being told why everything's not working. I don't need you to tell me why I'm not the person I should be. I can tell you that. And then some. I know all the problems. I just don't have the courage to walk into the solutions. Because most of us know the solutions as well. We just lack the courage to walk into them. We need people to get alongside and cheer us on. And say to us, you know what? You can be that person you're meant to be. I know that you've struggled with that for 10 years. I know that you've been here and done that and done this. But don't give up. Don't sit there in that. Let me tell you, have another go. Have another go. Who knows if that next little bit of encouragement is not going to be enough to get you across the line and put just the right amount of courage in you at the right time. That could be the very word that changes your life. And I don't want to be the person that holds that word back. I want to give it. I want to be generous in my encouragement, generous in what I have to say. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. The writer of the Hebrews says, Beware, brothers, lest there be... In any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. These guys were being pressured and they were losing heart and being discouraged about their faith. But it can be so many other things for us in the year 2019. He says, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. Hang on a second. What day is it now? It's anyone, Would anyone call today today? I would. I'd say Sunday is today. Well... Encourage one another daily. You know, there's not many things the Bible tells us to do every day. There's not many things that we are told to do daily. But the writer of Hebrews said, we need to exhort one another, which means to encourage one another. We need to do it daily. Why? Because we need courage put in us on a daily basis. Courage to stand for Jesus. Courage to do the right thing when you don't want to do it. Courage to be the right person when you don't want to be the right person. Courage to make the right choice when you don't want to make the right choice. We need people to believe in us. We need people to put that in us. It's not good that we stand there alone in the difficulties and the trials of life. I will never be the person I'm meant to be without input from you, without encouragement, without you putting some some courage inside of me every now and then and saying, hey, come on, I believe in you. And that's what we do when we encourage. We say to people, like that little train that could. I, I don't know the whole thing, but you know that little train. I think I can. I think I can. All the other trains, they saw the load, and all the other trains said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Anyone know that story? And, and, and apparently there's a load. had to go up the hill, and all the big trains were asked, and they all said, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. This one little train said, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Where all, most of us are like all the other trains. I can't do that. I could never be that person. I know, who, I, I know what, 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 what I look like as a, a, a husband or a father. I know that's what I want, but I could never be that. I know what I, how successful I want to be in business and God's gifted me and called me, and I, my, but I could never be like that. I could never be like that. I know what, 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 I, what I, 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 I dream of doing with my... But I could never be that person. I know the heights. I could never achieve that. I could, most of us are, are the other trains. We're going, I could never do that. I could never do that. I could never do that. We need one another. We need one another. We need people in our life that will come alongside of us in those moments and go, you know what, I believe in you. I think you can. I think you can. I think you can. And put that little bit of courage inside of us and instill that courage inside of us. I went through the Bible and I had a bit of a look at how many times in the Bible significant figures had somebody in their life that came along at the right time and put courage 
inside of them. David and Jonathan, we all know the story of David. He's anointed king. He, he, Samuel comes and says, you're going to be the king. He goes, he, he beats Goliath, this big giant of a man. He ends up getting some recognition. Saul takes him in, who's the king at the time. He moves into the king's palace. Then all of a sudden, Saul gets a bit jealous because everyone's going, David killed his tens of thousands and Saul, you'd kill a couple. So the tide's turning. Everyone's getting, giving, giving praise to David. He's still a young man at this time. And so Saul gets really angry at him, gets resentful, mad. It must have been like walking on eggshells around the palace. One day, Saul snaps, picks up a spear and starts throwing spears at him. He's actually trying to kill him. David gets to the point where he has to flee, runs off and he's living in the mountains and he's going from place to place to place. This is a difficult life. Yet, I'm supposed to be the king. Hang on, God spoke to me and said I was going to be king. And here I am now living in the woods running for my life because Saul the spear chucker wants to kill me. But there's a young man called David, Saul's son. And the Bible says this. In 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Literally means encouraged him. At a moment where he was maybe thinking of giving up on the dream. <clears throat> maybe, th- maybe, maybe he was struggling to see himself as a king. And maybe some of you struggle to see yourself as a son or daughter of God. Maybe you struggle to see yourself as forgiven. Maybe you struggle to see yourself as an overcomer. Maybe you struggle to think greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Maybe you struggle with that kind of stuff. And Jonathan comes along and at the right time, the Bible says he strengthened him. He encouraged him. And it was a bit of a turning point for David. Moses with Joshua. Imagine being Joshua. Imagine. That would just be a tough gig. I don't care who you are. You know? Moses, the greatest prophet Israel's ever known, leads them out of Egypt. All the signs, the wonders, the miracles. And then one day Moses stands there and goes, you know what, I'm going to die in Joshua. Here's the baton. It would be uncomfortable. It would be frightening. Can I do this? Am I the right person for the job? Will I have the skill set? Will I, will I, will I, will I, will I? And here's what Moses says to him, Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Then Moses called Joshua, said to him, in the sight of all of Israel, I love this, he did it publicly, praised him, talked him up, encouraged him in front of everybody. He says, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you, he will be with you. What an awesome encouragement when someone comes alongside you and goes, you know what, God is with you. God is with you. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want to say this to you. God thinks you're cool and he's with you. What an encouragement. It puts courage inside you to face whatever it is that you're facing. God is with you. He'll be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. What an incredible encouragement. And then Moses disappears and Joshua goes on to do great and wonderful things for God. I wonder why Moses felt the need to encourage him in that way publicly in front of everyone at that time. Maybe he could see that fear was here, courage was lacking. I don't think this guy believes in himself. I don't think he thinks he can do this. But you know what? It's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to get alongside him and I'm going to speak into his life. I'm going to put courage into this man's world. Mordecai and Esther. I all know the story of Esther. Through a series of events. This Jewish girl, she finds herself that, that, that's in the courts of the king. And the king says, you know what, basically there's this decree coming, I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people. And she's the only one close enough to potentially have a bit of a nag with the king and say, let me just try to talk you out of this. But she can't approach the king without being invited, because if you approach the king without being invited, and she knows this, and her uncle comes to her, her uncle Mordecai, and here's what Mordecai says. In Esther 4.14, he says, If you remain completely silent at this time, 
Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Watch this. Yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. What an encouragement. Who knows that you're not sitting here today to hear this? Who knows that you're not born again in 2019 loving Jesus for something that he wants to do here? Who's to say that you're not... Do you think, do you believe that you are divinely appointed, you're sitting in the right chair, in the right church at the right time for the right reasons and God's going to do something awesome? You know? That's what he's saying to her. You, are, you could be... I'm going to encourage you and say you could be smack bang where you're meant to be right now. Let the doubt go. And because of that encouragement, she says, I want everyone to fast and pray for because in three days I'm going to go straight up to the king and I'm going to have a chat with him. And she puts her life on the line on the basis of this bit of encouragement. Barnabas and Saul. That's the classic encourager, isn't it, when we think about Barnabas. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, did you know his name's not Barnabas? His name's actually Joseph. Acts chapter 4 tells us that there was a disciple called Joseph. I don't know if we've got that one up there. There was a disciple called Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, who by? The apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. Whatever whatever Barnabas' world looked like, before we ever encounter him in the Bible, he must have been encouraging people, some way, some form, because by the time we meet him, he's already got the nickname Barnabas. That's his nickname. What's your nickname? Bluey? You know, catalogue? Ruffy? Captain? This was his nickname, son of encouragement. And we got this dude called Saul who's breathing out murderous threats, hates the church, hates Christians, he's killing people. And Saul, on the road to this town called Damascus, has a vision, sees God, is radically transformed. So much so that he starts preaching and telling people, you know what, this, this group of people, these Christians, they're on the money. They actually know something I didn't know. But now I know it. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He was God in flesh. Jesus is the one that has come to take away the sin of the world and open a door so we can reconnect with God the Father, the creator of the world. He starts preaching this message that previously he was killing anyone that even thought it. Word gets back to the church leaders in Jerusalem and guess what? Rightly so. They're scared. Who wouldn't be? I'd be thinking this is a setup. We're going to open our doors, take you to the leadership of the church and you're going to look around and you're going to... Numbers and phone and email addresses, you're going to get it all, you're going to start spying. We're gone. So the Bible actually says that they were scared. They were afraid of him. But Barnabas went and found him. He said, come with me. I believe in you. Come with me. And Barnabas took him in and introduced him. I can imagine being in that room as Barnabas walked in and goes, guys, don't panic. Sit down. Grab a coffee. I've got a friend I want you to meet. Now, I don't want you to judge me. Put, Peter, put the hammer down. You know? Just, just hear him out. And imagine in walks Saul. Wow, what a moment. And then Saul goes on to plant churches. He goes on to disciple people. He goes on to be an amazing apostle. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament that we've now got. All because one man believed in him and encouraged him to be the person he was meant to be and to do what he was called to do. Encouragement is an amazing, amazing thing. It's powerful. When I was about t- early 20s, and we'd just come back from India, and I might get a bit emotional here because I always get emotional when I think about this, this part of my life. We'd come back from India. I got a phone call one day saying, Alan, there's a church in, in Redcliffe. Would you come and preach at this church for me? 
And I said, yep, no worries. They had someone else organised and he fell through. So I get dressed, I jump in a bus, I go to, to Redcliffe. And I'm in this church, and it's a fairly decent church. I get up and I preach. And I preached about taking up your cross and following Jesus daily. Simple message, I didn't think it was too, too bad. But I could have been deceived back then, I was a lot younger, and maybe if I heard myself now, I'd want to vomit. Maybe I'd call myself a heretic. Who knows? In 10 years' time, I'll probably call this a heretic. Such is faith. But I get to this church, I preach the end of, end of the church, they're having a, 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 a um, sort of morning tea, a, a, it was a night service that spread, everyone's eating, the pastor comes up to me, the senior pastor goes, Come with, can I have a chat with you? I said, yeah, no worries. He takes me out of the car park and he goes, you know Brian Houston could have said exactly what you said, but it would have actually been nice? This is opening line to me, but it would have actually been nice? And I was like, what? And then he went on to rip into me about how terrible my message was, about how, um, you know, Brian Houston could have said the same words, but he would have done it nicer, and he just tore shreds off me. By the end of the night, I didn't go back in. I went to the van that I was taken to the church in. I laid on the floor of the van like a little child. I was so crushed. And I made a vow as we drove home in the bus, I will never preach again. I will never, ever pick up a microphone. I'll never stand in front of a group. I won't do it anymore. God, I failed. I'm, I'm, it's not me. I don't have the gift. I don't have the personality. Whatever. I can't do it. By the time I got home, I was a basket case. Over the next three weeks, I didn't. I didn't speak in front of anybody. I, I didn't take any opportunities. I, I didn't do anything. One day, I get a knock on the door. And in comes Dave Niebling. Some of you have met Dave. He did Strengths Finder for us last year. Uh, he runs Youth with a Mission in Brisbane still to this day. He's come down. They contributed some finance help us. Dave comes in, he goes, you know, I'm getting hassled by this guy, this pastor at Redcliffe. What did you preach? And I said, look, here's what I preached. And I said, and he said, well, look, he's hounding me every day now, every day saying, you need to discipline that guy and I want to know what you did. And in the end, Dave said, you know, I, I don't know what to say because I don't know what you preached. Then the next day, he gets a cassette. The guy actually made a cassette copy. This is now about four weeks later or whatever, three weeks later. Makes a cassette copy of it and posts it to him. Remember when he used to post things? He posts it. Now you just click a button and you can send it. But he posted this cassette. Cassettes? Two reels? Yep. So he posts a cassette to Dave. And Dave sits there and listens to it. And a week later, Dave knocks on my door and he comes on in. And he opens the door and he comes on in and he holds up this cassette. And he goes, well, he finally got the message to me. And I went, okay. And he said, and he's demanding that I get back to him and I need to tell him what I'm doing with you because you need to be disciplined because of this. I said, right, yeah. And he said, so I had to sit down, Alan, and I had to listen to it. And I'm going, okay, here it comes. But it's okay, Dave, doesn't matter. I'm never going to preach again. It's all good. And Dave says, here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to ring him up and I'm going to say, I listened to the message. And he said, I'm going to say this to the man. If you through a mission had more preachers like you, we'd change the world a hell of a lot quicker. And in that moment, that word of encouragement, I can tell you this truthfully right now, I would not be here doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for that one word, that one word of encouragement that he spoke into my life. He might have been over-exaggerating. I'm sure I wasn't that good. But he put courage in me. And from that moment on, I decided, you know what? I might not be the best, I might not be the greatest, but as far as doing what God wants me to do, I can do it. Encouragement like that, courage being put in me, I can do that. And I can be the person that God's called me to be. But you know what? I was filled with the Spirit at the time. I had God, I had a Bible, I had everything. But it wasn't good for me to be alone. I needed someone to get alongside of me. 
I was like Joshua and I needed Moses. I was Jesus on the mountain, I needed Moses and Elijah there. I was Esther, I needed Mordecai to come and encourage me to do. I was Saul and I needed Barnabas. And I don't care who you are in this room, to be who you're meant to be and to do what you're meant to do with your life, you need people to come alongside and to encourage you. We all need that. Now here's the thing, I'd love to finish my message today by waving a magic wand over you. This is what I'd love to do. Because I was thinking about, okay God, this is what I feel like you're saying, but what's the application? What do we do? I thought what I'd love to do is wave a wand over you all so that, that you become an, 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 an encouragement attractor. So everybody just looks at you and goes, wow, I'm so attracted, I have to encourage you. And, and they come to you like moths to a flame. And, they, and, and by the end of church, everyone's just getting in groups. They're all encouraged. I'd love that. But here's the thing, I can't make anybody else do that for you. But I am a big believer that you reap what you sow in life. And I am a big believer that it doesn't matter what sort of personality you have, the gift of encouragement is available to any average if you don't believe me, look at Acts chapter 4 at a guy called Joe. Sis. <laughs> There's a bit of a gag there. Barnabas, the average Joe, who became a great encourager. Uh, Penny just dropped in and I could tell you, went, oh, I'm a bit slower today, but that's okay. It is getting late. We're about to finish up. Any one of us can encourage. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. You'll reap in life what you sow. Why don't you make a decision today that you're going to become other people's biggest fan? You're not going to walk around looking for reasons to critique, reasons to judge, reasons to criticise. You're going to get alongside people and you're going to listen to their stories and you're going to find ways to put courage into them, to, to let them know you can be the person you want to be. You can do what God has called you to do. You can make your business successful. You can pass that exam. You can be the mother, the father, the daughter, the son, the best friend, the partner, whatever that you want to be. You can be that person. You can overcome that habit. You can beat that sin. You can break that addiction. You can, you can, you can, you can. Let's make a decision that when you get up from here and you go, here's my challenge to you every day. Every day, for the next seven days, find one thing about somebody around you that you can encourage. Find somebody that's lacking in courage where you can go and put a bit of courage inside of them. Now, you can get up and walk out of here and not do it. That's up to you. But here's the thing. If you don't apply the stuff we're learning, it doesn't become part of us. Amen? The the church does not need more information. I'm not here to give you information. There's a lot of you sitting here. You've got more Bible information than I'll ever have. You know your Bible better than I do. Who cares? It's not about what we know. It's about what we're doing. So I'm challenging you, encouraging you, even the the young ones. Start encouraging. Become an encourager. Wouldn't it be great if in in a a week's time I I walked in here and I asked everybody, what's your name? And everyone said, Barnabas. (laughs) No, it's not a tone. Yeah, but everyone calls me Barnabas. I don't know what it means, but everyone keeps calling me Barnabas. You know? (laughs) Are you sure they're not saying Barnendabas? Or just Barnabas? Anyway, we need each other. We need each other. It's not good for you. It's not good for me to be alone. I need you. I'll never be the person I'm meant to be. And I'll never do what I'm meant to do in life and in God if you don't help me get there by putting courage in me when I need it. And you're never going to be who you're meant to be, get to where you're meant to go, and do the things that you're meant to do if the rest of us around don't get alongside you in those moments when you're lacking and we put a bit of courage in you. Can we amen that? Amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. And I want to thank you for, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest example of living life on planet earth and yet overcoming, of living life here yet being all we're meant to be, of being able to overcome the roadblocks, of being able to navigate this life and make it to that space where we are meant to go. But but more than that, I thank you for his death. Father, I thank you this morning that, God, those of us that are walking with you, it's not because we're great, it's not because we're wonderful, it's not because we're uh, anything special. 
Father, it's because of what Jesus did. We, we all stand before you in a place of grace. Not works, not performance, but grace. And Father, we thank you today for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that hasn't made that decision, that hasn't crossed that line. Father, I believe that they're here for a reason. I believe that the Holy Spirit's got you here on purpose. And Lord, I just pray, continue to chip away, continue the work that you're doing in their life, continue to open up the eyes of their heart, God, till they get to that place where they bow their knee before you and they walk into life and life abundantly as you promised us. Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for the next seven days, give everyone in this room an opportunity to tell somebody out there who doesn't know you about the goodness of God. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless. Oh, wow. Look at that. Now, you know what's going to happen now? Hey, thanks for encouraging me. I felt the courage just then. Ah, All good. All good. God bless. Guys, have a fantastic week. And uh, please, please don't run off without finishing off the morning tea. There's more morning tea to be had there and tea and coffee and stuff.